0: Med Device Unleashed podcast. Your next level source for all things sales and device. Now, here's your host, Jamie Tipton. Jamie Tipton. Episode number one, episode numero uno, coming in hot. And I got to tell you, I think we started this thing off with a bang. Had a phenomenal conversation with Jordan Chase, CEO and founder of Chase Med Search. Just a highly intelligent, very engaging guy with a ton of experience. Jordan started Chase Med Search in 2000. They've placed hundreds of reps in every specialty you can imagine. He's got over 20 years experience in the medical device recruiting world. Our conversation was educational. It was fun. And I hope you guys find it to be too. Without further ado, Jordan Chase. Jordan, thanks for coming on. Medical Device Unleashed, man. Hey, Jamie. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely fired up to have you. Especially as our first guest. This is going to be a a great kickoff to this podcast. And again, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this, especially, you know, in this unprecedented time. I mean, I'm sure you can agree, unemployment and and COVID nineteen and the economy and all types of different things going on here. So I thought that you were an absolute no brainer to bring on the podcast and Kind of kick this thing off
1: yeah well it 's fantastic to be here, and you 're right we 're living in absolutely unprecedented times, you know I think i'm uh, a few years older than you, Jamie, and I can say in my lifetime this is this is nothing that i 've ever experienced, and no one that I know has ever experienced anything like this
0: I mean, just in talking to people in the industry, I mean any industry really, but women men and women on the front lines, you know working in the hospitals and Elective procedures, small businesses, I mean, everybody, I mean, families, everybody's affected. So I appreciate you taking the time and and hopping on here and just kind of wanted to jump right into it. And obviously, you know, you have a thorough background with Chase MedSearch, the CEO of that company, and kind of what you've done and how you make your living recruiting for medical device. And you do pharma as well, correct?
1: You know, in the early days of starting this business, I did more with pharma and biotech, but... About the last five or six years have been focused mainly on medical device.
0: So Chase MedSearch, just to give the listeners an idea, kind of a little bit about Chase MedSearch, what do you guys focus on in terms of medical device companies? Is there any particular focus you guys have? Or
1: Yeah, great question. So, you know, we have been focused mainly on early stage venture capital funded medical device organizations. And when we have worked with big companies and we work with a number of them, it's typically been when they want to do something new. They're getting into a new venture, a new market, completely different call point or customer set. And within their existing sales force, they've kind of drawn on folks that they believe can help in this new area, but now they need to bring in a completely new team or build out the structure that they're trying to put in place to attack a new a new market. And so the common denominator with us is it's usually something new. And we're usually tasked with finding reps that are good at explaining new technology to physicians and leveraging relationships and in their experience that they've built over a number of years so that they're credible in front of the physician that they're calling on.
0: Absolutely. I'll be the first to tell you, too, as far as the startup world's concerned, it's an interesting portion of the medical device industry and one that I I think a lot of reps are either one, a little bit timid with or two, kind of chase and want to be a part of that new culture, so to speak, kind of that startup. I got something new in my bag, small company situation. That's also, you know, part of the reason I brought you on as well is to discuss that area of the industry. And of course, with that, right, you talk about the interviewing process and, and finding those reps that you just mentioned that are going to be able to explain new technologies and really kind of break it down and leverage relationships. What are the top three? I think the listeners would want to know, you know, when you think about a good candidate for a medical device job, what are the top three things? that you would say kind of register with you and kind of set off a a light bulb, so to speak?
1: Yeah, you know, good question. And it's a number of things. So I'm just going to do, you know, a little bit of stream of consciousness here. But when I'm talking with someone, a lot of times, you know, startups, they may have something that they're trying to bring to market that's a twist on, or an innovation or something different in a market that has kind of been defined, you know, Let's pick on maybe the ENT space. They've got a new or innovative technique, new device that they're bringing, and they want to typically draw from the crowd of reps that have relationships with ENT. So they can walk in and they can say, you know, doctor, been calling on you for years. I called on you with this other company. I'm now bringing you something that I'm very excited about. That's part of my customer set. And those are reps that, usually have transcended the customer dynamic. They've crossed over and, and they're now, you know, really viewed as a resource and a partner to those physicians. These are folks that the physicians are looking at saying, I put a lot of miles on the road with you. I believe in the way that you're doing things and the way you call on me and how you sell. And I trust you. And so I'm willing to go out on this limb. Does that make sense?
0: No, absolutely. It makes a ton of sense.
1: You know, the thing about those types of reps, they're dynamic. You know, a lot of what I've seen in the last few years has been when I started in 1998, a lot of things were focused on the operating room. Gradually, that began to move toward the ambulatory surgery center, and then procedures began to move into the physician's office. And along the way, the reps that succeeded over and over again were folks that could look at that environment and say, You know, now that we're calling on the physician's office, we need to build a team within that office. We need to get the front desk person excited about this new technology, and we need the nurse or the physician's assistant flagging this patient chart and saying, you know, doctor, this would be an excellent candidate potentially for this new therapy that Jamie was just in here telling us about. It's a whole dynamic of reps that are able to build a team, inspire trust. And really get every person within that office excited about what Jamie just brought in. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And I'll tell you, Jordan, too, I think you're trying to also say, you know, be able to bring a positive vibe and a good energy and at the same token, really know the product inside and out and essentially build a small team within each office. When you're talking about office-based procedures yeah I absolutely know what you're talking about there, so it's you want to build that kind of that conglomerate in the office that has your back, so to speak, and mm-hmm. really wants to help drive your product and help the physician find patients to treat when you know whatever that device is find patients to treat and find candidates absolutely yeah There's got it, it. Mm-hmm. that's excellent insight and and I'm a big fan and I think the listeners also you know would understand this too that I'm a big fan of building camaraderie and bringing good energy mm-hmm. in anything I'm selling and particularly important in the medical device space too as you move out of that ASC and out of the hospital setting which is becoming more and more frequent you know as we move down the road here you know especially in the past couple of years absolutely and I think the skill sets have changed and expanded over the years
1: too you know I mean I- If you're a physician, you're looking at a rep that can deliver value to your practice. They understand ROI and the bottom line and how this is going to enhance the physician's reputation in the community. What kind of programs or marketing strategies can help patients in the door, get in the door Mm -hmm. and get exposed to this new platform that the physician is offering? Those are different skill sets than we were talking about in 1998. You know, they were still there. They were more in seed form and it seemed like the OR tended to be more dominant in people's thinking. Now we're looking at certainly when you talk about office based selling, you know, that's an important component. Another thing that, you know, if we go back to hospital based selling that's become more in demand over the years is C suite selling, being comfortable in a room of executives and running through pro formas and big picture discussions at, you know, a very senior level within that organization. And where you get the chief medical officer, the chief technology officer, the CEO, the COO in a room and really walking them through that discussion and being able to talk not just about the procedure, but also whether or not this is a billboard worthy therapy that literally, you know, when people are driving down the highway, you could put it on a billboard and patients will begin to recognize that they themselves might be good candidates for that. And then they're coming in the hospital system and, you know, getting diagnostic workups and, and discovering whether they're good candidates for it, something that could truly help them and add value to their lives.
0: That's it, Jordan. You just hit it, hit it spot on. I mean, I think C-suite selling, C-suite selling, in my opinion, it's so frequent now. When I mean, we were talking about in the ASC, yeah. is, is the procedure profitable do you know the dynamics financially with your procedure? I mean, that is, that's, I would say that's more than half the battle there. In terms of competitors in the space, a lot of times, you know, maybe you don't have that right away with the startups, but you're tending to work against some Me Too products as well. So you need to be able to quickly define why your product isn't just a Me Too product that's getting the same reimbursement as the other right. product. So mm-hmm. at that, that point, it, they try to commoditize it. Yep. You know, so I couldn't agree with you more. And I've seen myself, you know, being still in the field, having to do way more high level discussions. And so I think it's a good transition to the next thing. And that's, you kept talking about skill sets. Mm -hmm. And I think you've kind of defined a couple skills that you think interviewees need. My question to you is, and interviewing can be a daunting thing to some people. Some people enjoy it. Some people don't. Some people don't really mind it, you know, so it's kind of all over the board. And when you talk to a potential candidate, when you reach out and, and get some interest from a guy or a girl or whoever wants to potentially look at this company that you're recruiting for, what are the big things for preparation? If I'm trying to prepare for an interview, I have some relationships, not a ton. I have some experience, maybe not meeting the minimum there. For experience levels you had a conversation mm-hmm. with me and you kind of liked what I said. how are you preparing your yeah. candidates? I know you do a great job with doing this so how are you preparing your candidates the right way for the interview and what are you looking for?
1: That's a great question Jamie and I think there's several layers to it but big picture, I think it always begins for a rep with knowing who they are and defining that knowing their strengths, knowing what they're good at, And especially knowing their story. I was just talking to someone about this, and I think people get nervous because they sort of think about it. They think about it wrong. They're worried that they're going to say the wrong thing, or they're going to trigger the interviewer, or they're going to go off on some tangent and won't be relevant to the discussion. What I tell them is shift that thinking and think about you being able to communicate your story and walking away from that interview and knowing no matter what happened, you really put your absolute best foot forward with that person. And you really communicated and hit the achievements, the results, the stories of resilience and what you overcame. And you drew really strong parallels between the job description at hand and your own experience. So I tell them, take your resume and take that job description And start to draw lines of sight between your resume and that job description so that when you're interviewing and you're telling your story, which you should be able to tell in two and a half minutes, you should be able to run through your question where they say, hey, tell me about yourself. Two and a half minutes max is super important because most human beings can't pay attention to anything for longer than two and a half minutes. We live in a very distracted age. (laughs) right? Draw parallels, you know. And so as you run through your story and you talk about it without being blatantly obvious, you're connecting the dots for the person interviewing in that first question right off the bat. You know, you've researched the company, you have, you know, what you believe are the key things they're looking for. And then you're communicating right off your experience and you're drawing it right in. That's very important. I think that's key. And I say, you know, two and a half minutes is longer than you think it is. As you go through, they may have questions and stop and interrupt you. That's cool. If they weren't going to interrupt you, make sure you can do it in two and a half minutes. Super important.
0: I agree with you. Two and a half minutes, I mean, that's about as long as I could pay attention. So I definitely agree with you in terms of uh, attention span. I would also say interviewing can be a little bit daunting. And you just touched on some awesome points. There, so thank you. I think that the listeners will really benefit from that kind of the preparation phase of it. Obviously, you've done a ton of recruiting, and you've placed a lot of reps. I have to ask you, Jordan, so what's the funniest or craziest thing that you've ever heard? Because everybody's got their own style, right? Yeah. What's the funniest or craziest thing you've heard one of your candidates doing in an interview to get the job or, or that didn't get them the job?
1: Well, one of the things that I've heard that I was talking to someone years ago about that they did to break in the medical device industry Was they weren't in it. They put a suit on, tie on, drove down to a hospital and sat in the waiting room and watched. And anyone that came in with a suit on and sat in the waiting room, they approached. And they did this for a week. And they did run into medical reps and word got around. And this person was kind of, you know, people were talking about him and saying, this guy doesn't even work in the industry, but he's got his resume ready. He's hustling. They told me that's how they got in the device community was someone just
0: expected the hustle? (laughs) I mean, listen, it's, it's absolutely an industry where you need to be able to think outside of the box. Yeah. Whether it's outside of the OR in the operating room with whatever device you're selling. I mean, I don't care if you're selling a scalpel with a light on it, or you're selling sterilization wrap or a seriously invasive spine device. You need to know and be able to think outside of the box. Absolutely. And know the product. It doesn't shock me by any means. Yeah. So it's a sought after industry. And people, I'm sure people reach out to you saying, you know, is there anyone hiring all the time? And I'm sure yeah. you're getting those messages. But the main topic, too, that I'm hearing a lot just discussing uh, in the interviewing process is right now, today, what we're going through with this pandemic and people getting furloughed, and I've talked to a lot of good friends, and I know that you've had some close friends that have gotten furloughed. What do you say to those people being in the industry you're in, just just recruiting in general, Mm -hmm. being in this industry as long as you have, what do you say to those people that, hey, let's say I'm a rep, I got furloughed. What can I do right now that gives me the best chance to prepare that if i do get laid off that there isn't a huge downtime for me in my career. That's
1: probably the number one question i've had 45 zoom calls in the last two weeks or so with people reaching out. And you know, it's it's several things. One is that i think is just basic is keep a routine. Keep getting caffeine into your body at roughly the same time as you were when you were working. If you work out and go to the gym, which you know, most people do in our industry. Can't go to the gym anymore, but you know, working out at home, doing the things that you would normally do to create mental and physical energy is super important right now. Eating right, most of us had a moment when business dropped that we were maybe staying up too late watching Netflix and doing things like that. But I think getting back into routine and establishing good habits now that we're all in this downtime is super important. I would add to that, going through, and in some of the things we've already covered, about working on your story, knowing your resume, honing it so that you come out of this and you're ready in the moment when you get a call or you get an opportunity to run that down is, is very important. I think everybody's sort of out of work right now, or many people are, being able to tell your story to other people right now and doing you know the mock interviews that you would normally do when you're a college student. The more you rehearse, the more you work on your story and really thinking hard about your achievements, which I would argue should be most of the time in sales talked about in numerical terms, quantifiable results. You know, sales is the most accountable position in the organization. Being able to show on your resume and talk in an interview about numbers and how you're measured shows you're not only very comfortable with that, but you actually embrace it. That's important for salespeople um, I think you know we are living right now through tremendous change. Almost no one likes change, really. Elon Musk likes change. he's very different than most of us humans, you know, but most of us resist change, and I think whether we like change or not, change has embraced us. I think we need to embrace it back, and what I mean by that is. Thinking hard about what the future is going to look like in medical devices, that's something anyone can do. I kind of call it seeing around corners. And if you look at where we're at right now, it's going to be very hard for reps to have access in the same ways that they used to in a lot of places. So I think one of the things that's been very important and is going to be very important is getting comfortable with video conferencing. You know, Zoom, WebEx, Microsoft meeting, whatever tools there are out there, reps ought to become really good at that and be comfortable with the idea of sales calls. You know, maybe not the initial one, but as it grows, being able to have video conference types of sales calls and being comfortable running it the way you're running this right now. You're doing a great job. You know, thank you. Those kinds of things are going to be really important going forward and the bigger the sales process is the more people would be on that kind of a video conference call there are reps that are very very good at this i've seen this in the last 2 weeks and there are reps that i had one call the other day and when we got on the zoom call you know i was upside down and then then he was upside down and then the sound went off and things like that And then when we finally got it going again, he said, thank you so much for taking the time. I have three interviews with three different companies next week on Zoom and they're all on Zoom. And this is the first Zoom call I've ever done. So I think getting comfortable with that kind of technology and thinking about the way the future is going to be is really, really important. Could you, a physician through a surgical procedure, through a video conference platform, You know, there's technology out there for that, believe it or not. So I worry about the folks that have been sort of in place. You know, they could do an orthopedic procedure if anybody would let them. They could do it themselves. You don't even need the doctor. They know it so well, right? But they've sort of let some of the other stuff go by them in terms of technology and platforms and, you know, new ways of doing business. And some of the things we talked about with C-suite selling, that's the kind of person that I think right now in this time. If they're not working and they got downtime, they really ought to be really working on sharpening the saw.
0: Right. One thing that I always say, and I always tell people too that I talk to that are in the industry and and or wanting to get into the medical device industry, I always tell them you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Absolutely. Take a second. Look at yourself. Look at your career. Look at what you're good at. Most people want to work on strengths mm-hmm. when you really need to step back and work on your weaknesses. Yeah. Because everybody has them. And so I right. think the big thing in this downtime is that, and I've told people this too, is be comfortable being uncomfortable and take a look at yourself. Find your weaknesses and work on them. Yeah, uh,
1: Absolutely. And I think a lot of us can improve in our technological, you know, sort of fluidity and capabilities. Virtual national sales meetings may become a thing of
0: the future, right? It's scary. No, I agree with you 100%. And along those lines, too, as we talk about the interview process and everything, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, and I think this would be very beneficial for the listeners, too, because I think this is a major thing. It was for me, but it still is for me. When it comes to your resume, the resume itself, Jordan, what's the biggest mistake that you see when you look at a resume? What's the one or two mistakes you see relatively consistently that you always have to correct? Maybe our listeners can be on the lookout for that.
1: Well, I I referred to it earlier is a lot of salespeople don't put numbers on their resume. That would be the number one thing. The second thing is there's too many words. Results, the main thing we're looking for. But then, you know, obviously, activities to support that are important. But most people only spend five to seven seconds on a resume looking at it, it's got to hit right away. It's got to be impactful. Wow.
0: Five to seven seconds.
1: Well, and you think about it right now, Jamie, there's 33 million people out of work as of today, okay, that have filed unemployment claims. It is a soft market, going to be an incredibly competitive market to get back in. And so the reality is you're going to want a resume that's going to have impact, immediate impact and is not going to go sort of by the wayside. I talk to people and they're just applying online left and right and left and right. And I've spent a lot of time in corporate jobs and worked for large organizations. And I mean, the reality is most of the recs that people applied online to at the companies I worked at, there were easily 200, 250 resumes in some of those recs. Wow. And you think about it, now you've got, and this is not to knock, you know, internal recruiting people at all? I've sat on that side of the desk. I was doing that for like thirteen, almost thirteen years. You're one internal recruiter, and you might have as many as thirty or forty recs or fifty recs that are open at times, yeah, you know, across all sorts of different functions and specialties, right? So not just sales, maybe clinical and quality and engineering and manufacturing. And you know, there just there isn't time to spend a lot of time on resumes,
0: so. Essentially what I'm hearing is applying online is tough. It's tough when we're not in COVID-19. We're not in a pandemic state. We're not at a shelter in place. It's tough when we're not doing that. And it's even tougher now with the unemployment where it is, right? So how do you build a network? That's a question that also I get frequently is because I Mm -hmm. think your network is everything in medical device. And the people you put around you and learn from can help accelerate you into the space or accelerate you to a, a higher level if you're already in the space. So how do you build a network? Is it LinkedIn?
1: Well, I mean, it's a tool. LinkedIn is a very helpful tool for everybody, for recruiters, for job seekers. It's not the only tool. And I would argue it's probably not the best tool. The best tool is still the phone. People you know, the people you know that are in your network. If we're talking about someone that's already in the industry, that's unemployed, okay? If we're talking about someone sin and, and you know, just got laid off or furloughed or whatever, it's calling people first. I think always talk to people, you know, but most people get networking a little bit backwards and they don't really approach networking as networking to give something of value, but something to get, you know. And I think it's more effective when you're approaching it to try to give value. To someone, And that could be, you know, it depends on the person, but I was just talking to someone about this earlier today. If you're in, let's say, the the interventional cardiology space and you want a job at another interventional cardiology company, well, you have contacts and relationships in the IC space that the person you're approaching might not have, and you might be able to add value to their life. They've got a job. They're still accountable for sales. They've got metrics. They've got things they've got to accomplish. What can you give that person of value? That's one way to approach it. And I, not a lot of people do approach it that way in my experience. It seems like a little bit more about what they can get. And I can understand that because right now people are pretty desperate. But I think it's more impactful if they think first about what they can give. Now, as a recruiter, you know I have jobs and, you know, well, not today, but normally I do. And so I don't mind that. I always do notice, though, the ones that are also interested in helping me in what I've got going in my projects.
0: You know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. And it's a give and take, right? You know, yeah. to build a network, you're going to have to try and deliver value and you get what you deliver. You'll receive value inherently from that. If you're not in the industry and you want to get in the industry mm-hmm. and you're listening to this, if I don't have any contacts, yeah. Yeah. You know, in the industry, I don't, you know, maybe a friend of a friend of a friend might work for somebody, right? Mm-hmm. I think the big question is, you know, because it's a big question. How do I break in? And it's a loaded yeah. question. We could probably talk for another hour and a half about how you can yeah. break into the, the industry, right? Yeah. I think if you build the right network, it makes it inherently easier to get in the industry because you right. can have those people kind of like we talked about earlier, the people in the office that may help drive your product. Those people that you build symbiotic relationships with and network with outside can help you get inside that are maybe they're already in the industry so do you think networking if you're not in the industry reaching out to people who are you know via whether it's linkedin on the phone or doing what that guy did i mean not that you're advocating that going to sit in a waiting room but (laughs) what are some tactics yeah well it's
1: honestly the number one question i get and I think most medical device recruiters would tell you it's the number one question they get. You know, there's a lot of answers to that question because there's, there's not a silver bullet. You know, if I'm talking to someone, let's say they're out of school and they're working for ADP for the last couple of years or paychecks or Xerox or whatever, you know, and I don't have any immediate jobs that they could transition into medical, I ask them, you know, do you have friends, family friends that are physicians? You know, are any surgeons that you're close to? have you worked that avenue any extended friends that have contacts with physicians physicians get asked a lot about whether they know someone that would be good for this job in pharma or whatever or a medical device job i think linkedin like we talked about is is a tool that can be used effectively recruiters are another one it's a broad based approach you know you have to taking a step back i get asked by soon-to-be college graduates a lot about getting into the medical device industry. I'm at that age where I have friends that are managers that have kids that are graduating from college and they want to, could you talk to my kid about this? And absolutely. But I tell them, take a step back and think about building a house. And if you're going to build a house, you want to build a foundation the right way, right? So medical device sales is sales. And really what's important I have a firm belief in this. It's important to really hone your sales craft first. I've seen people that get into the medical device industry too fast sometimes. They get out of college, then they end up going into, let's say, you know, orthopedic or spine sales, quote unquote, but they're really tray runners. In certain contexts and situations, they're not being developed on the sales end of things. And they end up sometimes being very limited in future opportunities if they don't get promoted within that job and they're not being compensated very well and they want to break out to another job, but they don't have all the things that a guy like you would have, cold calling, prospecting. They don't know the 80-20 rule. They don't really know how to close accounts effectively or quartile accounts or how to develop or break down a number from a yearly to quarterly to a monthly to a weekly sort, and how you drive you know, tactics behind that and activities to hit that number. They haven't done that, really. It's a great point. So, you know, I talked to them about go into a great business-to-business company and really understand that you're really helping yourself determine whether you want to be in sales for your career. Do you want to stand up in front of your peers every week and say how much you sold versus the week before? Do you want to do 30 cold calls a day? on small business owners that don't want to see you. There's a lot to be said for the adversity of going through that, because if you distinguish yourself in that, you really do probably like it. And you know what, we'll find you. There's a high demand for those people out there if they're successful at ADP, Xerox, Paycheck, those are just some of Black & Decker tool. You know, right. We'll come find you. And also the alumni network of people that came out of those companies is heavy in the medical device world. Centos is another company. You know, I mean, you think about some of these, and that's not the only way to get there. But when I'm talking to someone that is very, very early career, I usually give them that advice and say, let's figure out if sales is for you first before we start talking about medical device sales, which I still regard as, in many ways, is the pinnacle of sales You know, because it involves so
0: much you know, let's build the foundation of the house, right? That was phenomenal. I absolutely love the let's build the house mentality. And I will tell you, I know people firsthand, and I can't agree with you more as far as the associate rep, particularly in the orthopedic space. Very tough, very tough job demanding. And Mm you got a ton of respect for those those individuals that take that on. But to your point, when they go to transition out, or let's say they don't get promoted, I've known plenty of people in this boat. They don't get promoted quick enough or what have you, and they want to move, which I don't blame them. It's tough because it's their first quote unquote sales job that they haven't really had any sales. They can't put numbers down because they're right. not directly correlated. They don't own those numbers. The territory manager does. Correct. So. It's not to say there's plenty of people that have gone through that track that have gotten a territory manager and done really well. But there's also the subset of people, I'm sure, that fall out and say, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah, Maybe did I do something wrong and think that they maybe hopped in too quick, which maybe that is the case, but they didn't build the house right. They started to build the walls before they built the foundation.
1: Reverse engineering your career in medical devices, dealing with a guy, I think it was two years ago, who was exactly what you just described. You know, he had gotten in right away into this orthopedic job, and I'm sorry, it was a dead-end job. You know, he couldn't get promoted because, you know, a lot of a lot of these companies will tell you, you know, we, we're hiring you in because the senior guy is going to retire. Let me tell you, the senior guy never retired in 20 years I've been in medical devices. He's never going to retire, you know. And these folks, they get stuck. And so I was talking to a guy in that situation, and I said, you know what? if it doesn't hurt you, go back and go do the payroll thing for a minute. And then we'll, trust me, we'll come find you. And he said, really? And he went off and did it and was really good at it. And so by the time I called him a year after that, he liked what he was doing so much and he was making so much more money, he didn't want to get into medical anymore. To me, that's a happy ending, in a sense. No doubt. You know, No doubt. <laughs> he had more than doubled his income he was being promoted to branch manager of this, this place he was at. And he told me, you know, Jordan, I, I never would have done this, but I am so glad I did. I'll refer you to somebody, but I'm, I'm sticking
0: with this. Well, Jordan, I'll tell you, he's glad. And I'm extremely glad that I had you on today. I know we're, we're running a little short on time okay. here. So I want to go ahead and let the listeners know where they can find you. If you want to, give them any contact information as far as email or anything like that? Yeah, sure. So our website is chasemedsearch.com.
1: And that's probably a great place to start. I'm on LinkedIn. And my email is jordan at chasemedsearch.com. And glad to talk to uh, anyone that reaches
0: out. Jamie, it's been a pleasure. Jordan, can't thank you enough. Take care, be safe and we will certainly have you back on so we can check in with you. This was phenomenal. Thank you, sir. Sounds great. Take care, Jamie.